We're in Judges chapter 13 tonight. We're going to begin our study starting uh, with the birth of Samson tonight. So let's uh, bow in a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can have a copy of it to hold and to read and to use whenever we desire. And and Lord, we pray that you would um, minister your grace to us tonight as we desire to study it and allow your Holy Spirit to enable our hearts and our minds to understand um, the story of Samson here before us his birth and how you used him and lord we just pray that you would uh, apply the principles that we learned tonight uh, to you to to us and that we'd be able to apply them to our lives and and father we uh, pray for each one that's gathered here and pray that you would just continue to be uh, gracious to us and thank you for each one that's come out and just pray that we'd be able to dedicate our hearts and minds to study your word for the next uh, a few moments together and we thank you and, and we praise you in jesus precious name amen 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 So we're in Judges chapter 13, continuing our our journey through uh, Judges, and should have an outline there somewhere for you. But we're going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and read the the chapter for us, and then we'll go back and go through our outline. So it talks about the (coughs) birth of Samson, and it starts in verse 1 there, Judges 13. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man uh, named uh, a certain man of Zorah of the tribes of the of the Adanites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her behold you are barren and have not borne children but you shall conceive and bear a son therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the son shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, and a man of God came, uh, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the children, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. In verse 8, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent Come again to us, and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat anything unclean, any unclean thing. 
Uh, all that I have commanded to her, let her observe. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Or uh, another rendering says secret. Verse 19, So Manoah took the young goat and with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord, verse 21, appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown to us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in uh, uh Mahane Dan between Zorah and Ashtol. So here we have the the birth of the last major judge in the book of Judges. And his name's Samson. And he's, as I mentioned last week, he's kind of a walking contradiction, this guy. Um, he was destined for greatness, according to what what God had planned to him. And as we see in this message, before he was uh, born, Samson was chosen by God uh, for a great mission by God. And that's what he he did. Um, his life was, was marked by great victories, but it was also marked by even greater failures. So you see the contradiction begin. Um, he was a man used by the Holy Spirit, but he was also ruled by his flesh uh, more than he more than should have been. He was uh, one of the strongest men who ever lived, apparently, yet he was also the weakest. And so he was definitely a man of contradiction. He was dedicated to God before his birth, but dedicated to himself until the day of his death. He had kind of a selfish bent. And so his, his tale, his life, is really a sad tale of consequences of someone who's continuously demanding their own way. You know, nobody enjoys being in the presence of somebody who constantly demands their own way. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're with a group of friends, you say, where do you want to go eat? You know, maybe one of them, well, you know, if you don't go where they want to go, then, well, I'm not going then. You know, those, those kind of people. People don't like to be around people like that. Um, and it seems that Samson had somewhat of a, a selfish streak. And he, he had a weakness for uh, ungodly women. 
Uh, we'll find that out in his story in the weeks to come. He pursued that weakness with kind of a, a reckless abandon almost until he was really uh, abandoned by, by God to the way he chose to lose, he chooses, uh, live his own life. He just, God just said, okay, if you, you're going to go down this road. I'm not going to go with you, but go ahead. And though the Lord worked in his life, we're going to see that Samson was determined to pursue his sin. And sometimes that's the way it is with people. You explain to them the consequences. You explain to them, you know, the mistake or whatever they're doing. The, the path they're on is wrong. And they just, they listen, but they just continue down that path. And so he reaped the consequences of these poor decisions that he made in life. And um, you can learn a lot from somebody like this. Uh, so you don't have to repeat what he did. Um, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, in verse 32, Samson is mentioned as a man of faith. So he's not all bad. Uh, and he's really a, a, a clear uh, picture of his un, unfaithfulness throughout his life to the Lord. Um, he was undisciplined. He was undependable. It seemed that he was unpredictable at times. And so he, he was a good illustration of over in James chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says that there's such a thing as a, a, a double-minded man. Remember that verse? A double-minded man. And that verse ends, it says, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways, right? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Not some of his ways, but all of his ways. And Samson definitely is a good example of what a believer should not be. In every, in every way. And yet, God is still gracious to him. Uh, he's still listed as a man of faith. And that should kind of give us a little bit of humility before we get ourselves puffed up with pride and think, well, we'll never be like Samson. All of us have these tendencies in our lives. You know, uh, none of us live a perfect life. We can't. We're in a body of sin. We're in a world of sin. We're surrounded by sin 24-7. And even though we have the power to defeat sin, and see, sin is really defeated by the Lord on the cross, we still practically uh, strive to live out that, that kind of a life. It doesn't just come naturally. And so, you know, as we follow the life of, of Samson through all these victories that he's going to have and through all the failures that are marked by it as well, you know, we, I really want to pray that the Lord will speak to our hearts that we won't just point our finger at Samson, but maybe we'll see some similarities from the life of Samson and be able to transfer uh, some lessons over to, to our own life. Um, it may be that we see some weaknesses in our own life when we look closely that dominate our life. It may be that we see ourselves uh, in some way when we look in the mirror uh, and we see it similar to Samson's life and how it's described here. But we're going to look at a couple details tonight surrounding just his birth. We're just going to get through chapter 13. And so this is the last uh, the judge of Israel. And um, he will, uh, he's, you know, we saw in the text where he's actually, he's born. And so we see the announcement of his birth here in, in verses uh, 2 to 5. And it came in a, in a special package. It wasn't just, you know, oh, I'm pregnant, I'm having a child. No, it came as a, a special announcement, um, a heavenly announcement, you might say. And here you had a barren woman 
the wife of a man named Noah, and he was visited by none other than the angel of the Lord. And, you know, she was told that she was, even though she was barren, she was going to give birth to a son. And it smacks in similarity to, um, you know, Mary being a virgin and saying, you're going to have a son. Uh, here she was, she was barren. Um, and so the, the promise was later confirmed to her husband in verses 8 to 14. But the announcement of the birth first came to um, the wife. And Samson's mother is told that she, he will be used of the Lord. I mean, can you imagine if you're a woman here tonight and you were, you were informed by God in a special revelation that you were going to have a child and the child was going to be a special child and that God had a special plan for that child. And that's basically all you were told. <laughs> You'd probably be a little unnerved by that. It's like, well, what does that mean? And it kind of explains Manoah's reaction once he finds out what his wife encountered. He's like, well, we've got to get this guy back in here and talk to him again. I want the details. What's, what, what's the mission? What's, what does the Lord want from this child? Um, and so it's none other than the angel of the Lord, it says, who is bringing this announcement. So the question is, who is the angel of the Lord? And we have every reason to believe, in this context at least, that the, the angel of the Lord is none other than the, the pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, when Christ would appear in the Old Testament, it's called a Christophany. That's the theological term. Sometimes when God appears, it's a, it's a theophany. But here, it's a Christophany. It's, it's none other than the pre-incarnate Christ appearing and he's given the title, the angel of the Lord. And when you see down there in verse 18, when uh, Manoah asked the angel, hey, what's your name? Because <laughs> he doesn't understand it's the angel of the Lord, right? It's like, okay, this guy came and told me um, this. And so he wants to find out who this guy is. And the wife has another uh, appearance by him. And so she runs and gets her husband. And so the angel replies that his name is, is, some translations say secret, others say wonderful, all right? And it's the same word that's used in Isaiah 9, 6, when the Bible says his name shall be wonderful, referring to Christ. And so we know it's a, it's a, a Christophany. There's, there's no question about that. And, and that's when Christ steps out of eternity and into time to bring some form of of good news to someone who is hopeless. Here it's a hopeless couple. They can't have any children. And, uh, and this is not the only time that Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. There's, there's several Christophanies. We're not going to go through them all here, but I listed them there for you. And uh, you can look those up on your own time and look up the Scripture references and see how the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and, and Samson's parents here. And then also to Isaiah, the three uh, Hebrew uh, children, Daniel, Zechariah. And so, uh, you know, we, we see this happening throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, and so Samson's birth notice was not the only one to come directly from heaven. 
Remember who else? Abraham, right? Remember Abraham? He learned about Isaac through such an announcement back in Genesis chapter 17. Um, that was kind of an interesting thing. So did uh, Zacharias when the angel of the Lord came and told him about the coming birth of John the Baptist. We, we read about that in Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 13. And then Mary and Joseph, obviously, we know that because of the Christmas story, learned that Jesus Christ was coming through a similar method in the Gospels represent that. And so we see that sometimes God <laughs> works in, in a miraculous way, okay, without explanation and without um, any offer of explanation. And because it is a, he, he is God and he can, he can do things like this, and he did. Um, Warren Wiersbe said this, He said, when God wants to do something really great in his world, he doesn't send an army. He sends an angel. And that's true when you think about it. When God wants to do something really great in his world, he doesn't send an army. He sends an angel. And, uh, you know, I I don't know about you, but I, I am so thankful that God knew exactly the plight of this couple, her being barren. They were probably discouraged or whatever. And um, they fit the bill. And the angel of the Lord went and said, hey, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to be used by God um, to some degree. And so, you know, you need to prepare for this. Uh, I'm thankful that our God knows exactly what we need when we need it. He doesn't second guess. Um, And he knows just when to send it. I mean, how many times have you been distraught or you've been in prayer over something or concerned about something it's just wearing heavy on your heart and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, it's like, you know, you get a phone call, you get a card, or you listen to somebody on the radio or TV, and, and it's like, wow, the Lord literally came to you and, and spoke into your heart some truth that encouraged you through that trial. We've all experienced that probably, no doubt, to some degree. And it's because God knows exactly what we need when we need it. And he, he doesn't, um, you know, he, he doesn't, he has a purpose and a plan in carrying these things out. And so this wasn't just a whimsical thing that happened. This is something that, that God had a plan and a purpose for. Um, another reason I think we, we know that the angel was the Lord himself is when you look at what they did, they, they prepared a, they invited him to eat. And he said, well, I'm not going to eat your food. And they said, well, then prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord. Because the angel of the Lord, Christ, he knows everything. He knew that Manoah didn't understand who this was. But he said, okay, if you think I'm just a guy, don't offer it to me. We're not to worship men. But you know what? Offer it to the Lord. And then Manoah, I think with the Lord's assistance, obviously put it together and realized who exactly he was addressing at that time. And it kind of shows us the truth that, you know what, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just good enough to be in the presence of, of the Lord. There are some people who can be in the presence of the Lord, and until God activates some sense of faith in their heart, they don't even understand that. Think of the disciples after Christ, right, on the ro- on the, on the, they were walking on the road with Christ. They didn't even know it was Christ, <laughs> You know, um, and there's other occasions that happens. And it, it just shows you that just naturally we don't we don't always get these things spiritually correct. We need the Lord's assistance. And the, the fact that that God took time 
and was patient with this couple. And, and yeah, he, he, he came back a second time. And, you know, they, they, they asked the Lord to come back. He did and explained a little bit more. It didn't give them the whole picture because they are to walk by faith. Um, but he did explain a little bit more to at least help them feel comfortable enough to, to make an offering. And the reason we think it's, it's the Lord himself is because he actually received the worship, right, from Manoah and his wife. Um, if it was just another angel, because at other times in Scripture, people have tried to worship angels, right? And, and, and the angel said, no, 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 you only worship God. You don't worship me. I'm just an angel. So here we know that this, this angel was representative of Christ himself because he did accept the offering that they offered. And that's what, you know, verses 19 to 21 is about. Manoah's declaration here, also in verse 22, if you look at that, is also kind of interesting because he says, uh, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. So they knew completely, you know, God gave them the grace to understand, uh, wow, this is in fact the Lord himself. And he came and he made a special announcement about the birth of my uh, through my wife, who's barren, she's apparently going to have a, a child, and uh, he's going to be the next judge of Israel. And so you look at their reaction. Um, the first thing that she does when she's faced with this, back in verse 6 and 7, this angel appears to her, tells her this news, and it says the first thing that she did, um, the woman came and told her husband. Isn't that interesting? She, went, she ran and she told her husband. It kind of tells you a little bit about their, their relationship. It tells you a lot about the relationship when the husband responds, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if my wife came to me and said, oh, you know, the Lord just appeared to me, and I said, you're nuts. You know, I mean, that would be my reaction. I said, what are you talking about? You know, I don't know. You've lost your mind. That's kind of how I would respond. But Manoah doesn't respond that way at all. Uh, the first thing he does, what's he do? He, he calls on the Lord and he says, hey, uh, send this angel again. So he's not just saying, yeah, I believe you, but on the other hand, let's get some confirmation. And uh, he, he runs, she runs and tells her husband. Her husband kind of indicates that, wow, okay, let's, let's investigate this further. So he believes his wife. They have a, a trustworthy um, relationship going on. And they have a, a strong, apparently a good marriage. And a lot of times... At least I've found this to be true. Couples that have um, trials in their marriage, you know, when they're, they're really going through certain things, whether it's not being able to have children or having unruly children or whatever it might be. When, when a couple goes through, it could be health problems. When they go through hard times together, it, it indicates that, wow, they have, a strong, they have a strong marriage. They have a strong relationship. Because the Bible says that those kind of trials, those, those issues are there for what reason? To make us stronger, right? To make us more like Christ. And, you know, so many times when, when sometimes we're doing premarital counseling with, with couples and we have to explain to them, you know, because they're all giddy and they're in love and, blah, blah, you know, and you got to stop and say, hey, listen, this isn't a picnic, you know. Uh, and, and I always repeat what Gary Thompson always says is, you know, marriage is not meant to, to make you happy. It's made, meant to make you holy. And if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, when you got married, the day you got married, men, women, your life changed. It changed. Why? Because you were no longer by yourself. 
You know, you were no longer able just to go do whatever you wanted to do. Your life changed. And so as a result of that, sometimes those changes are difficult. You know, it's much easier, the Bible says, to be a single person and serve the Lord than it is to be married. That's what it says. That's what Paul says. And so it's, it, and that's true. It's not that, you know, you're not dumping on marriage by saying that, but it's, it's, you know, it's true. It's, it's like if you were going to go somewhere, you know, and, and do what you want to do by yourself, or are you going to go somewhere with someone else who doesn't really like to do what you want to do? And this, you know, that's going to be a little more difficult. And so that's the way it is with life. And, and at the same time, there's many blessings that come with marriage. You know, I can't imagine my life without a wife. I just can't at this point. But before I was married, I was like, yeah, I'm never getting married. I'll be single today. <laughs> you know, I'm going to serve the Lord. And it just kind of, you know, the Lord hit me with my wife. <laughs> you know, and, and now I can't imagine being in ministry without her by my side. Because she brings a whole different dynamic. You know, she brings a whole different um, set of gifts and abilities and understanding and, and feelings and everything to the, to, to the table. It'd be very boring. My life would be very boring if I was by myself. I would be like a hermit. You know, I'd come out minister and go back to my house. You know, well, my wife doesn't allow that to happen. Why? Because she likes to be around people. And so, for whatever reason, they had an incredible, strong marriage. And I think it was due to some of the trials that they had gone through. You know, I'm sure they had hard discussions about, boy, why aren't we having a child? All this stuff. But you know what? Instead of making them bitter, it apparently made them better. It made them stronger. And um, it, it's sad when couples allow heartache and allow uh, bitterness, really, to steal their love for one another. And that can happen. And we've seen it happen. Your spouse should be your best friend in the world outside of the Lord. We had a very clear understanding when we got married. I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, I'll love you till the day I die, but I'll never love you more than God. And she said the same thing to me. And it wasn't a romantic thing. It was just a state of, statement of fact. So it, it's important that we understand that this came as a, a heavenly announcement. It, it came as something that the Lord, you know, just sovereignly allowed to, to take place. But it also came, secondly, on the back of the outline there, it came as a hopeful announcement. I mean, think about it. This is a, a couple who couldn't have children, okay? And um, according to verse 1, Israel had once again, the way this chapter starts off, is not very hopeful, right? We've seen this. We've read this many times throughout the, the, the study of this book. And the people of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, as a result, gave them into the hand of the Philistines, this time for 40 years. I'm just amazed that, you know, over the time that, you know, they would do this evil and the Lord would give them into the hand of their enemy for 40 years or 20 years or whatever it was, they just didn't, it didn't click with them. You know, our actions have consequences. You know, it's kind of like, uh, sometimes with us, you know, we have a certain behavioral problem or whatever, and we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, it's no different than that. They, they did, it said, what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord 
because he loved them, he cared for them, he did what was right. He gave them over into the hand of the Philistines. And it says there for 40 years. So they had once again turned their backs on the Lord. And uh, because of their sins, God allowed them to be oppressed by their enemies. And it's a sad situation. And it's been going on for for 40 some some years. And now, you know, you have this announcement of the birth of a deliverer there in verse verse 5. It says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall... Begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. It's going to be a process. So they're under oppression right now. The child's not even born yet. They just got the announcement. But can you imagine the hope that resides in their heart? It'd be like if the Lord came to you before you had a child and said, Hey, you know, just to let you know, man, your, your, your child is going to one day uh, be the President of the United States. Or your child one day is going to be an incredible pastor. Or your child one day is going to be... That would be exciting. Wouldn't it? It would motivate you to, to do whatever the Lord told you to do. And I think that's what, what, what happened here. They, it, it gave hope to a very, very, very sad situation. They were reminded that, you know what, God has not forgotten his people. And sometimes we can get so down on ourselves and down on our situation that we actually begin to believe the lie when the enemy whispers it in our ears, oh, you know what, look at all the problems in your life and you, you're, you're going to serve God. You're going to continue to trust this God. He, you know, you can't even balance your checkbook. You don't have enough money to pay your rent. You don't, you, you know, look at your kids. Look at this. Look at that. Look at that sinful behavior in your life. And the enemy whispers all these things that could be true into our mind and into our heart. And we, we, we start to recognize that. And rather than repent, we start to believe it. And then we begin to think, well, how could God love me? Yeah, that's true. You know, where is God? And we, 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 we start to think that God has forgotten us. When just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true. And so they were reminded that God had a a plan to revive them, to restore them to his favor. Even though they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, God still had a plan for them. And, And by the way, God always, always has a plan. He always has a plan. God is never caught uh, off guard by our behavior, by anybody else's behavior, by a world situation. He's never caught off guard. It's not, you know, sometimes I talk to Christians and when they explain, you know, the whole sinful issue in Genesis and, you know, why Christ had to come and everything, but they always start off and, and sometimes they start off with like, you know, well, you know, God created this perfect place and you had Adam and Eve and they were just living in eternal bliss. But then, you know, there was sin. And, and Satan came and tempted him, and they gave him to, and then God had to do something. And so God's up in heaven running around, you know, wringing his hands, going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Jesus, you, you need to go down there and deal with it. That's not how it happened. We've got to push that away from our mind. That's exactly the opposite how it happened. As a matter of fact, it says in, in the New Testament that even Christ, the death of Christ, was foreordained. It was something that was in eternity past. God put that plan in, into place. And just like... In Ephesians, it tells us that before the foundation of the world, he what? He chose us in Christ. You weren't even around when God decided to save you. That's just, it's hard to understand. It's very pride-crushing, that doctrine. Well, wait a minute. If I wasn't around, then how could I have a part in it? Exactly. You know, this is God loving you because 
Why? Who knows? I don't know. Why did God save me? I don't know. I had the slightest idea. But he did. And I'm grateful for it. And I can sit around and try to figure it out, but I'm going to come up empty because there's nothing good in me that demands him to save me. See, and when you begin to believe that lie that you think maybe there is some good in you, that God had to have you on his team, because if God doesn't have you on his team, you know, oh, you know, boy, the church would just be a wreck. No, that's not true. We, 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 we begin to believe those kind of things, and it fills our heart and our mind with pride, and yet God from the very beginning says, you know what, I have a plan, and it's not your plan, it's my plan. And if it's God's plan, it's a good plan. And you can question that all the time, you want as far as why did God save me and not a mem- another member of my family or what? Well, you don't know if he's going to or not, but if he didn't, then he didn't. He has a purpose for it. Um, and we, we just have to be thankful for what he's done in our life. And so sometimes you look around the world, especially today, and you think, wow, things are really spinning out of control. You know, things are just going south real quick. You know, I mean, the whole COVID thing, you put the mask on, you get the vaccine, you don't have to wear the mask. Now you got to get the vaccine and wear a mask. No, no, you don't wear one mask, you wear three masks. And you know, it's just crazy, right? It's like you're making this stuff up day by day. And you can get really stressed out over the whole thing. Or you can sit back and you can say, you know what? Thank God I'm healthy today. Let's get through today. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your, your, your constant care for us. Thank you for your constant care for our church. And you know what? Whatever comes down the road, give us the grace to deal with it. Who knows? We don't know what will happen. But God has a plan. And uh, sometimes it seems like things are out of control. But that's just how things look from our perspective. You know, we, we don't, we can't see the whole plan of God. And I think it would blow our minds if we did. Occasionally, you know, I hear somebody give a testimony of uh, maybe they went back to a class reunion or something. And, you know, they go back a different person than they graduated from high school, right? They, they graduated from high school. They were not a Christian. They did all the bad things. And then they come back a born-again Christian. And everybody's blown away. It's like, what happened to you, you know? You're not the life of the party anymore. What, you know, and they're able to tell how God has changed their life. You know, I remember going back to just five years after high school. And um, I had changed the lord had saved me but i remember going back to the 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 only reunion i ever went to and they're like what are you doing you're a youth pastor wow wow we didn't see that coming converse what what in the world happened to you you know and it gave me the opportunity to share with people you know how the lord had changed my priorities and changed my life and 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 really was gracious to me in every way and so god always has a plan things aren't always the way they look to our natural eye and he's always busy. He's always working behind the scene, accomplishing his plan for his glory, even though it may not feel it, even though we may not understand it. Uh, God has a purpose. And so you can trust him to do what's right and to do what's best. Um, that's what uh, Romans, right? We, we, we know this verse well, but let me just read it for us because it's, it's an important verse. Um, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, not just the good things, the bad things, the horrible things, the tragedies in life, the trials, the tribulations, the blessings, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so sometimes it's good for us to remind ourselves of that truth that, you know what, there are times when we look around and we think, wow, this is, 
this is not good. Why aren't things going the way we want? Why aren't things, why isn't God answering our prayers the way we want? Well, God has a purpose. God has a plan. And we just need to continue to trust in that. And so that's the, the you see, the announcement of his birth. Just in a miraculous, a miraculous thing. But you also see some of the arrangements that went on here for his birth. In verse 3, we see that it involved this miracle. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. But, I, I love the, I always say, I love the butts of Scripture, right? But, um, God, you know, God, you, you, will, uh, you shall conceive and bear a son. And so, how would that happen? It doesn't make common sense. Um, God came to an unnamed, barren woman and promised to open her, her, her womb, a promise to give her a child. And you have to understand, back in that day, in that society, um, barrenness, if a woman was barren, it was considered like a curse. They just were very superstitious about a lot of these things. And, and barren women carried an incredible amount of, of shame and stigma that we can't even begin to imagine in our society today. But that was the case. And um, barrenness, a lot of times, was seen as a judgment of God against a home. Even though it's not true, but that's how they viewed it. And in that culture, every young woman wanted the same thing. They all wanted to be a mother. They all wanted to bear many sons, okay, for their husbands, because that was the the priority of the day. And uh, they all wanted to be a woman through whom God if they were of, of Israel, they knew that God was going to send a Messiah one day. And they thought, wow, maybe, the, maybe I'm the one. I mean, that was their dream, you know, that somehow the Messiah would come through them. And so to be barren took away all those dreams. They, it just wiped them out, crushed them. And so to be barren in that culture meant that a woman was exposed to a lot of um, trials and a lot of tribulations, a lot of dangers, uh, the danger of being divorced by a husband who wanted sons. You know, you got married uh, as a husband. You know, you had a farm, whatever. You, you wanted people that could help you out. And if you got married and you found out, why well, your wife can't have any children, well, you know, usually, yeah, you get, get rid of her and get a new one in here. And, and that's how it would work. And so, you know, sometimes it wasn't always the woman, <laughs> Right, So you wonder sometimes, they get rid of the wife, maybe she's not the one that has the problem. They didn't have all the scientific thing, and he gets another wife, and you know, he goes through three or four, maybe he finally figures it out. I don't know. I mean, today we have science to explore all those things for us. But it, was all, it always meant you're being exposed if you got married and you couldn't have children. Well, maybe my husband's going to leave me. Because you know, it was a big deal to have uh, many children back then. Uh, it meant that when her husband died, um, she would be destined to be alone because she had no children. There'd be no one there to care for her, which was a big deal in that society. She's really signing up for a life of poverty uh, if she was barren. Uh, no man would be willing in their right mind to marry a woman who was known to be, be barren. So it was a very hard life. It was a harsh life for a lot of, of women who couldn't have children. And, and, so, and yet God came... <laughs> to this unnamed woman, and he, he promised her that she would have a baby. I mean, you can just imagine the joy, probably, that filled uh, her heart. Uh, he promised her, not that she would just have a baby, but that she would have a what? A son, all right? Which is kind of a, a, a double blessing. 
And then he promised her that her son would be a, a judge in Israel. Wow. You know, that, that's a big, big, huge deal. And so what a promise that she received. Uh, the fact that God would, would send a baby to be the leader of his people is amazing in itself when you, when you stop and think about it, right? Uh, think about what babies are. Babies are weak, right? Babies are helpless. Babies are absolutely dependent upon adults um, for all of their needs at a young age. And yet God <laughs> did this incredible plan. He carried it out. He had this work to do. And sometimes, you know, he, he often sends a baby into the world through which he can accomplish his great work. And, and this is one of the cases. Um, and that is, that's the way God works. Over in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you turn over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, just real quick. Paul kind of reminds us that sometimes the plan God has is not our plan. Uh, what we might think is wise is not necessarily wise in the eyes of the Lord. And Paul is pointing out, considering, considering the, the calling of him and his brothers to the, the ministry, he, he says there in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for consider your calling, brothers. He says, not many of you were wise according to the, the worldly standards. That's weird. Okay. Um, he says, not many of you were wise according uh, to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And these are people that are called to serve the Lord. But he says in verse 27, but God chose what is what? Foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no, why did he do this? Why, why would God use such a standard? You know, when we say, you know what, if, I, if I'm going to go hire a CEO, I want somebody that's bright, I want somebody that's smart. I want and God says, well, that may not be my plan. You know, I'm going to take this guy that... that um, sweeps the streets <laughs> and i'm going to make him your ceo what doesn't make any sense that's kind of what what lord is saying here and he says the reason i do that in verse 29 is so no human being might boast in the presence of god and we have to be reminded of the fact that we have no no place to boast in our salvation you know we didn't find god God chose us. You know, um, we hear sometimes people say, well, yeah, that's when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, my question is, well, when did Jesus accept you? <laughs> you know, that's the more important question to answer. And so we have to keep things in, in a proper perspective. And so he, he points out here, when God chose to commence this wonderful plan of salvation, um, you know, this is what he did. Think about it. In Genesis 21, 3, he sent Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, right? Remember that? And, uh, you know, you see God's plan there to take his son up and, and possibly sacrifice him. That doesn't make any sense. 
But now, in retrospect, we look at it and goes, wow, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Or he would deliver Israel from Egypt. When he did that, he sent Moses and um, dealt with that in, in, in Exodus chapter 6. Or when God would revive a, a, a dead, spiritually dead Israel, it says that he sent Samuel to Hannah in Elkanah in 1 Samuel 1. And when he came to save and redeem the world from sin, what did he do? God sent Jesus to Mary and Joseph. I mean, they, they weren't any big, big wigs of the day. Um, and so we, we just need to be reminded that God uses sometimes the lowly, the lowly things. And it involved this, this miracle we see here of, of God using this. I think one more thought. The, the passage reminds us that God cares about uh, people that the world looks at and doesn't care about. God really does care about people who are lowly. God really does care about people who are weak. God really does care about people who are uh, the ones that everybody else just kind of casts off. And I think that's why Jesus used the illustration with his own disciples when he said, you know, when he was talking about reaching out and, and, and helping people and he's talking about um, future uh, rewards and stuff. And he was saying that, you know, when, when you uh, help, help the least of these, you know, you help me. Uh, when you, you, you visited me and you, you gave me something to drink, and they said, well, we never did that. You were never in prison. They said, no, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so that's, that's a good illustration for us to, to be reminded that, that God doesn't see anybody as nobodies. Everybody has value because everybody, even the, even the vilest person on the face of the earth, has value to God because God created them. You know, he may not approve their lifestyle. He may not, may not approve of their sinful behavior. But, you know, that should provide hope for us that even the, the worst of the worst, if God chose to save that person, he could. You know, and sometimes I think when we get to heaven, to be honest, I think we're going to be very uh, surprised. <laughs> Some of us will be pleasantly surprised. And others of us will, will what are you doing here? How did you get in? You know, because it's the last person in the world that you would ever dream that would be in heaven. And, you know, we just have to be reminded that we don't get there based on our own goodness or our own righteousness because we have none. And so Manoah and his wife here were just two completely unknown people living out their lives in Israel, struggling in their marriage, dealing with the barrenness and everything. And God knew who they were and he knew what they needed and he knew even what they, they wanted. And the good, the good message of that, to apply it to us, is he knows the exact same thing about you. He knows the exact same thing about me. He knows what we need day to day. Um, and, and he cares for us. You may think that, you know, you don't understand what I'm going through. Nobody cares about me, and I'm not going to tell anybody. And, um, you know, nobody knows what I'm facing. Well, they may not. But the good news is God does. And it's more important that he knows than somebody else. And so that may be true from a human perspective. You feel lonely. You feel cast off. There's no one there for you. But there is a God in heaven um, who has his eye on you specifically. And we need to be reminded that he is intimately aware of our circumstances. He's intimately aware of everything that goes on. And he cares about us to such a degree that that he he does everything he can um, to provide for us. 
each and every day. And in his time, he will reveal his plan for you and me, for me and everybody else. And, and one day we will come to understand it. Um, but it, it involves that, that miracle here, the arrangements of Samson's birth. And it's just an incredible thing. And then it, it also inva- involves a mandate. You see that in verses 4 and 5, right? Uh, Therefore, he says, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. The woman was commanded as, and it wasn't just a medical thing. This had to do with a, a, a Nazarite vow. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the woman was commanded to abstain from wine and strong drink and from anything unclean during her pregnancy. And she's told why, because it says there that her son will be a Nazarite. Um, he's going to have a special uh, calling placed upon his, his, his life. And it's gonna, he's going to be a Nazarite from the womb. And this is a, a, an often uh, a command that's it's repeated to even Manoah. It's important that they hear this. And so when the angel comes back, back down in verse 14, he says it once again. She can't eat anything. Just remember, nothing from the vine. Don't let her drink any wine, strong drink. Eat, eat anything that's unclean. And I've already given her that instruction. Now as her husband, I'm giving you that instruction. And it's best if you do this. Um, and the, the Nazarite v- vow can be seen all the way back in, in Numbers. If you turn back there, you can see it in Numbers chapter 6. That kind of gives us a little history of it. Numbers chapter 6, it talks about the, the vow. And usually it was a, a um, voluntary vow that someone made in order to separate themselves for service as unto the Lord. Here it's a little different because it's God that kind of puts the vow on, on Samson and his parents that, hey, he's going to be a Nazarite from the womb. And so the, the, the vow itself was a voluntary vow. It could be made by a man or a woman, really. And, and while this vow was in effect, they were to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. Uh, some people say, well, did Jesus take this vow? No. He wasn't. It, people get confused that, you know, Jesus was from Nazareth, so they think that he was a Nazarite. He took the Nazarite vow. No, that's not the case. They're t- two totally different things. They're not related at all. And so, you know, that's why I think sometimes we see pictures of Jesus that are renderings of him, a painting or something. He always has flowing long hair. You know, he, he could have had short hair. And I've heard some people say, well, no, no, he couldn't because he, he took the Nazarite vow. No, he didn't. And we know he didn't because what did he drink? He drank wine. So he would have been a hypocrite if he would have done that. So he, 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 it's a totally, completely different aspect of it. But this vow was a vol- voluntary vow, and it, it was a vow that indicated that um, you were dedicated to the Lord. Usually it wasn't for a lifetime, okay? It was for a short period of time. Usually they would do it for 30 days, a month, a month's time. They would take this vow, and maybe they had to perform some special service for the Lord, and so they would dedicate themselves, and they'd say, okay, can't cut our hair. And it walks us through here in number 6. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, that's why we know a man and women can do it, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall, not, uh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from the wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. 
So it was very particular. And so verse 4 says, All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. So it's very exact, right? All the days, verse 5, of this vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. So he's not only allowed to eat any grape products, but he can't get his hair cut. That would be easy for me. That's not an issue, but some of you might have an issue with that. So he says, until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. And that's, that's what the Nazarite vow was about. It was about setting yourself apart onto the Lord for a, a task, for, for something the Lord has called you to do. And it says, he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself, verse 6, to the Lord, he shall not go near, this is the third thing, any dead body. So you're not to be around anything that's unclean in their culture. Uh, not even for his father or for his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean? So this was a pretty big um, uh, commitment because his separation to God is on his head. So, you know, I'm, indica- I'm reminded when I read that earlier today, I was reminded that, you remember when, when Jesus had a lot of people following him and he would, in, in Luke it tells us that, you know, some of them would run up to Jesus and, and, oh, we'll follow you, Lord. And they all had kind of a hidden agenda. One guy, you know, well, let me go. And then the Lord would cry out and say, well, you follow me. And well, let me go bury my, my dead father first. Or let me go do this. Or let me go do that. It was always conditional, you know. And then Jesus comes out and he says something like, you know, unless you, your love for me, um, you, you have to hate your, your own mother, your own father, your own brother, your own sister, if you're going to be my disciple. And people read that and they go, what, Jesus is teaching hatred? What kind, of, what kind of man is this? You know, why would he tell you to hate your own family? And he's not telling you to hate your own family. He's saying your love for him has to be so much greater than your love for your family that your love for your family by the normal person would almost look like hatred if they could compare your love for Christ and your love for your family. That's what he's saying. And, and see, sometimes it's those family ties, to be honest with you, that get in the way of what God is calling you to do. It's very easy. You know, um, I remember when, when I got saved, and I remember, you know, a, a month and a half later, I was in California going to Bible college. And my family's like, why, are you nuts? You know, what are you doing? You know, uh, I was going to, to, to school back east, working on a degree in criminology, took a you know, the degree in criminology, and said, well, I'm, I need to go learn something biblical. So I ended up out in California. And what's interesting is, you know what, I could have very easily said, well, I can't go that far from my family. I couldn't, you know, I mean, that was my security, right? It was kind of a security blanket in a way. But you know what, I knew what the Lord had called me to do. And it's always been that way. And that's the way it is when, when it doesn't, you know, you don't have to go into full-time ministry to do that. When we serve the Lord on an everyday basis, what are we called to do? We're called to put our preferences on the bottom shelf. And Lord, what do you want out of this? You know, and if you get that backwards, you know, if you go in each and every day looking at the day saying, what do I want today? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to be a good, good, good walk with the Lord. It, it's gonna, it, you're going to have issues. Because what if what you want isn't what the Lord wants? Then you have that conflict. But if you open your eyes every morning, you say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want today, but let's go. (laughs) 
you know, um, that's the kind of attitude that God expects. And that's the kind of attitude that a Nazarite would take. They would, they would take that vow and, you know, it was a very serious thing. Even the death of a parent or a sibling, they couldn't, they couldn't be around the dead body. So that would mean the funeral procession, everything, they would have to skip it. Why? Because they took this vow to God for a period of time. And so it was a very, very serious thing. The Apostle Paul took part in the Nazarite vow uh, on at least two occasions in, in Acts chapter 18 and in Acts chapter 21. And so specific tasks. And some of the people were bound by the Nazarite vow for their whole lives. Um, others were just, um, you know, for a temporary time. Uh, Samuel was a Nazarite. Uh, John the Baptist was another one in the New Testament. And Samson was to be a Nazarite. He was to take this vow. His parents committed him, gave him to the Lord uh, from his mother's womb. So from the very beginning, this was a promise that God said. It's kind of like when you know, God told Mary, yeah, you're going to have a son and he's going to deliver the world from their sins. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big, big deal. And so it was to taken, be, be taken very seriously. And so Samson was this Nazarite from the mother's womb, and that just meant that he was, his entire life was to be consecrated. It was to be given to the Lord. He was never to eat any fruit, drink of any wine, um, strong drink, anything like that from the vine. Uh, he was never to touch a dead body. He was never to cut his hair or shave his beard. And we'll see in the coming weeks, I mean, Samson nearly violated every part of this oath. Every part of it. And, and yet God was so gracious to this guy. But, you know, he knew the code, but I don't think Samson ever got the concept. And, and sometimes as believers, that's what, what happens in our own Christian walks, is it not? We know what the Word says. We know we shouldn't be doing this, whatever sinful behavior it is, but what do we do? We go down that road anyway. Because the desires of the flesh are strong sometimes. And so we, we say, wow, okay, you know, I know this is, this is what God's code says. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so we don't get the concept of our behavior. If it's displeasing to the Lord, it has consequences. And so sometimes God has to let those consequences ride out. And that's what he did here with Israel. You know, they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And God said, okay, we're going to go through this cycle again. You know, at this point, in all honesty, if I was God, I would say, I'm done. Zap. You know, I mean, how many times has this happened? How many times has this occurred in the book of Judges? We've been reading this over. Israel did evil on the side of the Lord. It, it gets very frustrating. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we can be very frustrated with our Christian walk as well. And that's why we just have to remember that we're in this process of sanctification. God is working on us. We're not done. You know, it's not like that, that wonderful loaf of bread that your wife cooks you and you walk in the house and oh, it smells so good. You know, and you want a piece of it, all right? Uh, but it's not done yet. It wouldn't be good to go to the oven, even though it's smelling good, and take a thing of the dough that's half cooked and shove it in your mouth. You wouldn't be feeling too good later. So you got to let it have its, 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 you know, cooking and let it do its work. And that's, it's the same thing, you know, uh, with, this, with this whole process. It, it has to be carried out. And so he was never to cut his hair. He was never to shave his beard. But he violated every, every bit of this, of this thing. Um, Samson never got the idea that the Nazarite vow was not merely 
from, from some things, but it was on to the Lord. In other words, sometimes people come to the Christ and they think that the, the Christian life is, they look at the Christian life as a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, and you just got to check the box. Okay, go to church, pray, do this. It's very mechanical. And you can tell right away because that Christian has almost no joy in their life. They're usually very rigid. They're very legalistic. They're very, you know, their way of the highway kind of thing. And, and, and that, doesn't honor, that doesn't honor Christ. And so, you know, you can, you can pick up on that very, very quickly. And that's kind of the approach, it seems, that, that Samson didn't understand. His vow was not just, okay, well, I can't do this. I can't do that. So that's probably how he looked at it. So he went and did them all. <laughs> um, you know, we have to understand that, no, we're, we're doing something that's on to the Lord. You know, we're not just doing it to see, be seen by other people. We're not, we're not doing it to, to, so people can look at us and say, oh, look at you, you're Mr. Spiritual. No, we're doing it as on to the Lord and on to God alone. He was to separate himself from all those things that were forbidden, but he was to separate himself on to God. And sometimes we miss that. You know, uh, we just need to be reminded of that. And so we don't want to be too hard on Samson because... <laughs> A lot of us don't get this either, right? We know the code, but we fail to grasp the concept. And so we live in a way that sometimes is dishonoring to the Lord, and we end up in that same cycle that Israel did. Um, but when the Lord saved us, the Bible says that he purchased us onto himself, that we are his property, you could say. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we looked at this when we were going through that, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6 points this out. First Corinthians uh, six, nineteen and twenty. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? I mean you, this is not your own body, this is God. He gave it to you. Um, and plus you have the Holy Spirit within you. And he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, or so, glorify God in your body. And so we don't do it just because, oh, he gave us a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, we do it because we're, we're commanded to do it. We're commanded to honor the Lord with our thoughts, with our behavior, with our bodies, everything. And so essentially the Bible indicates that when we come to Christ, before we come to Christ, we're what? We're slaves to what? Sin, right? We're slaves to sin. That's how the Bible describes us. When we come to Christ and we receive his salvation, are we free to do whatever we want? I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's a big debate on free will and all this. It just doesn't sound too free. When you're, when you're, when you're a slave to sin, and then after you're saved, you're called a what? A slave of who? Of Christ. <laughs> that doesn't sound free to me. You know, it sounds like, no, you have a duty. You have, you, you have to serve somebody. You're, you're a slave. You're a slave unto Christ. And so we have to do his will. Um, we don't have any rights as believers. And yet the world tells us that all the time. And sometimes we, we become a Christian. We say, well, I, I want my rights. I have rights. No, you don't. You don't have freedoms. You can't go do whatever you want. Um, we're to have no will but his will. That should be our constant desire. And none of us are there. 
I mean, to be honest, I mean, we all want what we want when we want it, right? But it's that constant battle that goes on. And that's where we have to constantly be yielding back to the Lord. Oh, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We really have to have that. And so we're to be separated as believers, as on to the Lord. Um, and we have trouble living that kind of life sometimes. We all do. And so we continually defile ourselves with forbidden things of the world and things we shouldn't hear, things we shouldn't see or do or whatever. Um, and there's a price to pay in that. Uh, even, even with God's grace, there's, 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 a, there's a price to pay. And so we need to be diligent about that. So it involves a miracle, a mandate. And then verse 5 here, it also involves a ministry. The baby uh, that was coming into the family of, of Manoah and his wife, he says there would be the next judge for Israel. I mean, you would never think of sending a baby to deliver a nation, especially from the Philistines. Uh, that, that would just be silly. Uh, if I was going to select somebody, I would have selected somebody who's a warrior, somebody who's a military man, a grown man, trained to fight and hardened for battle and able to organize a, a, a fight against the Philistines. But that's exactly what God did not do. He did the opposite. He chose to send this baby to be a judge. And um, for parents, that's an important thing to understand because um, that's why raising children is so important when you're raising your child. Um, You never know who God is going to send into your home to be your child. You don't know what God's plan is for that child. You don't know. You may have aspirations, but you don't know what God's plan is. And so we need to give those children every spiritual advantage that we can so that they can become men and women of God and be used by him for whatever plan he has. And we're we're called to, yeah, we want to enjoy our children, but we're also called to raise them for the glory of God, not just for our enjoyment. And um, it's it's the least you can do for them. It's the least you can do for the Lord is, is to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. So we see the announcement the arrangements, and lastly here, the accomplishment of Samson's birth. Verse 24, uh, all the way down, verse 1 there, it says, And the woman bore a son, and she called his name Samson. So God here kept a promise. He uh, made a promise, and God kept the promise, and the baby was born just like he said he would be. And uh, the lesson here is that God always keeps his what? His promises. God always keeps his promises. Um, Hebrews 6.18 tells us that God can't lie. Okay? He can't make a promise and not keep it. He can't renege on a promise. Uh, We serve a God who um, is faithful. He's true. He's willing to do what he says he will do, and he will, he will carry it out. And, and it's, it's just so much easier when we come to understand that because sometimes God's plan, like I said before, doesn't line up with ours. But when we understand, you know what, his plan is going to be carried out whether we like it or not, it's just a lot easier to, to uh, just go along with the program. You know, it's uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, in, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God 
our Savior. And so, you know, it's with that hope that God will keep his word. Um, He will stand by every promise that he has ever made. And we see that in Romans and and 2 Corinthians. And so, this happy mother named her son Samson. Wasn't, you know, necessarily the name that if you had to name it, it wasn't like Christ. You'll name him uh, Jesus. It wasn't like that. But she named him Samson. And, and Samson literally means like the sun. Shines like the sun. So maybe they called him Sonny. I don't know, instead of Samson. But I think that, that one thing, you know, the early days of Samson life must have been an incredible ray of heavenly sunshine for this couple. And in that home. Because they waited so long. For this, and they thought, boy, their hopes were dashed. They thought, well, we'll never hear a, the cry of an infant in our in our home, and yet here they are, um, the baby's born, and little uh, did Manoah and his wife know that one day, little little sunny boy here would uh, would would turn from the light he was dedicated to and walk most of his days in darkness. You know. Uh, I'm sure that as the life went on of Samson, they probably shook their heads as parents and like, what is going on with this boy? Um, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gracious reminder to us as parents that, you know what, we do the best we can, right? We raise our kids. We try to do the best we can. We raise them in the admonition of the Lord. Um, you know, that's not a, just because you do, you've done that, that's not a guarantee your kid's going to turn out fine. It just, it's not, you know. Um, kids make their own decisions. And, you know, we have to be careful sometimes because we can become very judgmental as believers and we see a, a kid that's messed up and what do we do? We point, we point the fingers at the parents. Well, that's their fault. If they would have been good parents, it wouldn't happen. Well, that's not always the case. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of messed up kids that grew up in, in wonderful Christian homes. And for whatever reason, they went south. You know, the Lord, Lord will have to deal with that one day. But... Um, we can't know the future, but we have to do our best with what we have when we have them while they're wrong to bring them up in that, in that nurture of the Lord. And see, I, I think here, Samson's para, parents really, I mean, just by his behavior that we're going to learn about, uh, it seems like they raised a little spoiled brat. I mean, to be honest, it seems just like what he wanted, he took, and he was strong enough to do it. Uh, and it seems like... Maybe they gave him everything he wanted, and it, it backfired on him bad. Um, they may have followed the letter of the law and keeping him away from certain things that God said were off limits, um, but I think they, they failed in instilling the law of God where? In the child's heart. So Samson maybe grew up in a, maybe a little bit legalistic home. You know, Samson, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that constantly. And rather than, you know, there's a book out for parents called uh, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. You know, because there's so many parents who just lay down the, the gauntlet. And you know what, either you obey or this is, that's the way it is. And, and that's not the way parenting works. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, they're now good that way. You know, not that you don't need discipline, you do, but you also need grace. And you need to, you know, you need to allow the, the, the children to see you uh, for who you really are, not, not, put yourself out there as some great spiritual giant when you're not because they see right through it anyway 
And so apparently they, they failed somehow to cultivate a love within Samson's heart for God and for righteousness. And I think those two things would have changed maybe the way Samson's life played out, but we can't second guess that. So, um, you know, don't, don't bow to your children's every whim because that's not going to really help them. Um, they need to know there's boundaries in life. They need to know that there's limits in life. Uh, they need to hear the word no. You know, this is a problem in our modern day culture. Parents don't know how to say no to their children. And they just let them do whatever they want whenever they want because if they don't, they'll throw a fit. And if they throw a fit, well, then the parents get embarrassed and they don't want to be embarrassed. So, okay, uh, you can buy that. You can buy this. You can do that. Just don't embarrass me. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, un, it's unfortunate. Uh, they may not be embarrassed, but it's, it's going to turn around to bite them in, in the long run. So the second part of that verse, it, you see here the relationship of his, his birth there in, in, in verse 24. Um, it says, uh, and the young man uh, grew and the Lord blessed him. So there was, like I said, it's not all bad here, you know, and it, it gives you a glimmer of hope. And uh, we were, as we've gone through the study, we're told that other judges were used by the Lord as well. Um, and we're told that they had uh, the Spirit of God upon them as well, at special times for special services or whatever. And uh, this, is, this statement is not made about any other of the other judges of Israel, that, um, that, that God blessed them in this fashion. So Samson was a very special individual from his birth on. And indicates that God's hand was was upon him, and it's just sad to see how he failed in the end to live up to that that fullest potential that God had for him. And um, it's sad when we do we do the same thing. Basically, our, our our duty is to be where God wants us to be and do what He wants us to do, all for His glory. And then the last thing here, the reward of His birth. Um, we're told that God began to move him. Um, to really, uh, that, 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 that phrase there, that the, the Lord began to stir him, okay, it has the idea to push him, to, to, to make him do what the Lord wanted him to do. It conveys the idea that through the Holy Spirit, somehow, um, that God began to impress Samson to fulfill this destiny that God had for him. And he used him in the early days in localized ministry within the borders of his inheritance of the, t- of the tribe of Dan, and, and he was a member of that tribe. And, and the point is that, that Samson was available to the Lord in those early days, and God used him. And, and those were the good things. He got off to the good start. Um, and he, he was available to the Lord. And, and sometimes that's, that's the greatest asset, right? The greatest ability, somebody said, is availability <laughs> when, you're, when you're serving the Lord. If you know you want to serve the Lord, but you're never available, that's that's not that's not a, that's not a good deal. The greatest ability is being available to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? I'm 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 willing. And so we're we're, we're saved to live for Him, to make ourselves available to Him, and to be used in this world for His glory. And that's how Samson started. It, it started okay, and it kind of is taken from the playbook of Isaiah when when God contacts Isaiah and. He falls down before the Lord and, you know, Isaiah is basically saying, hey, here I am, Lord, send me. Whatever you need, Lord, I, I'm here. And, and that's the kind of attitude that we need. God may not send you, <laughs> okay? God may say, that's not my plan. 
but so many people are afraid to go there to be available to the Lord because they're, they're fearful of what God might, might use them in. And sometimes we have to overcome that fear and just say, Lord, whatever you want. I mean, you know my giftings, you know my abilities and everything. And so he can, he can use that. So hopefully tonight as you leave, you can look you know, prayerfully the rest of the week at a couple things. Look at your relationship with the Lord, first of all. Um, is it where it should be? You know, you, I think if, if, if Samson was a little more monitoring his relationship with the Lord and his walk with the Lord, maybe uh, some of the things that we're going to read about in the future wouldn't have happened. Um, you know, are you completely sold out to him? Are you available to him as you should be? Are you, are you saved? You know, you know you're saved and you're walking with him. Uh, secondly, look at your relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there to prompt us. The Holy Spirit's there to, uh, you know, keep us humble. And, and, and when, when the Lord calls us to do something, are we quick to respond in the affirmative? Or do we end up making, you know, excuses? Well, I can't do that or whatever. Um, you know, look at that relationship. Look at the relationship you have with your children, if you do have young children or even older children. Um, and then lastly, look at the relationship with your spouse. Because um, all those things kind of play out in this chapter. You know, they obviously had a, uh, a good marriage. And, you know, to deal with what they had to deal with was kind of a, a pretty big deal. So hopefully, you know, this encourages your heart. It's, it's going to get kind of crazy in the coming weeks here with, with Samson. So we're going to look at that. But uh, tonight, that's all we wanted to cover. So let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. And then uh, we can have some fellowship together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Samson. Thank you for his uh, parents' obedience and his, their willingness to um, give their son, really, to the Lord, to, to provide this atmosphere in which he could be raised up. And I'm sure they made mistakes, clearly. But your grace still stepped in and kind of overrode that. And, and early on in his life, he was a blessing. He was used by you in, in a mighty way. And uh, we're going to see some of that next week. But but Lord, um, somewhere his heart grew cold and he uh, just stepped away from his commitment to you. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray that if we have children, if we have family members or friends that are in that state, they're, they're not walking with you and they're, they're just kind of turned off by the whole thing. Lord, we pray that we know that only you could penetrate their heart. Only you can, can touch their heart in a way that would cause transformation. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would be um, living our lives in a way that reflects Christ. Lord, we're not going to be perfect, but we can, we can strive to be more Christ-like each and every day. And so we pray to that end that we would yield more to the Holy Spirit and not to the flesh. And, and Father, that we would uh, uh, see your, your blessings in our life as a result of that. So we pray for each one tonight. Pray that as we go our way that you'll keep us safe, take us home safely, and bring us back. Uh, once again uh, on Sunday. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.